Welcome to episode 92. When you hear about protein, what do you think? Gym junkies, shaker bottles, bodybuilders, Instagram models? Well, on today's episode, we are really going to reframe how you think and feel about protein because if you are anyone that has any of the major chronic disease risk factors or have a family member or loved one that is staring down the barrel of obesity, diabetes or cancer, or you simply want to interrupt the aging process in general, and who doesn't, right? This episode is the one to wrap your ears around because we talk about how consuming too little protein is linked to all of these health problems, including getting older, and why protein should be the number one most important nutrient that you focus on for good health. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Glad to have you back here on another episode of the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. It is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want before December 2020. And not only is the podcast a place that that, that assists that mission, but also my Health Hacks for Humans Facebook group and my eight-week program, The Ultimate Energy Upgrade. And you'll find both of those links in the show notes below. So, if you're listening and loving this episode, scroll down and click on those links to learn more. Alrighty, today's guest whom I connected with because of the Quit Sugar Summit as we were both speakers at the QSS and I was blown out of the water by what this particular person was speaking about and I thought... I just have to have her on the show. So, who have we got? Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who is Washington University Fellowship-trained physician in nutritional science and geriatrics and is board-certified in family medicine and osteopathic manipulation. She completed her undergrad in human nutrition, vitamin and mineral metabolism at the University of Illinois. Dr. Lyon works closely, closely with the Special Operations Military and has a private practice in New York City. I personally think her approach is really unique, which specializes in the concept of muscle-centric medicine, which focuses on the largest organ in the body, skeletal muscle, as the key to health and longevity. Her individualized wellness plans include interventions using high-quality protein diets, supplements, and resistance training to improve health, reduce chronic disease risk, and boost overall energy and wellness by focusing on building and maintaining healthy body composition and lean muscle. Gabrielle, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, so great to be here. So great to have you. Yeah, thank you. So tell us, what is muscle-centric medicine? Let's start there. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about this because muscle is actually an endocrine organ. It is truly the most underappreciated organ in the body. Right. And interestingly, you know, we have this fat focused society, everybody. So everyone is focused on obesity, but actually it's not about being over fat. It's actually about being under muscled and muscle is truly the organ of longevity. Right. And muscle centric medicine is really about optimizing this endocrine organ and really shifting the paradigm of thinking that it is not an adiposity problem. That's just the end result of defects in skeletal muscle. Interesting. And I guess the first thing that pops into mind is that uh, your comment, it's not about too much fat, it's about too little muscle, is that 
you walk outside and look around and there's a lot of people that if they had a proportional amount of muscle would actually be giants. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is absolutely true. And it's interesting when you think about the problem of obesity. So the recidivism rate, or for your listeners, the rate of relapse is about 94%. So for example, if individuals are trying to lose weight, there's really a 94% chance that they're actually going to gain the weight back. So it it became interesting to me that we are focusing on a problem that doesn't seem to get better. So those rates don't change. They've been there for decades. And it's because we have the problem wrong. You can't solve effectively a problem if the paradigm in which you're working in is incorrect. So if we can optimize and maintain skeletal muscle as you age and understand truly it is this nutrient-sensing organ as well as an endocrine organ, when you contract muscle tissue, it actually secretes a hormone-like compounds that actually go through the, the whole body. That's that in and of itself. The muscle tissue is the key to number one body composition, right? Obesity, diabetes, heart disease, chronic kidney disease, Alzheimer's. These are actually diseases of the muscle tissue. Yeah. And so, it makes total sense what you're saying to me. So, I guess we're moving from problem-focused with the adiposity to solution-focused. Is that the kind of aim? That's absolutely the correct aim. And by shifting that paradigm and that framework, you then are working in a corrected framework. So, you're no longer focused on, quote, losing weight. You're focused now on actually correcting body composition. And for your listeners, the key to correcting body composition, well, number one, you have to control for calories. No matter how we argue this, calories need to be controlled. But after calories are controlled, dietary protein intake is the most important macronutrient. And how you dose that throughout the day can literally change everything about you age everything about how you age. And that becomes in thinking about protein as a per meal dosing. So for the average listener, you're talking about four to six ounces of high quality protein per meal. How many grams is that for our Aussie listeners? Um, The grams in protein. So um, for every four ounce, so for every one ounce of protein, there's seven grams of protein. Yeah. So for every one ounce, there's seven grams of protein. So seven times four would be around 30, right? 28. Yeah. And then you go from there, six times seven is 42. So 42 grams of protein. Now, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, throughout my, I guess, research career, I've learned many sides of the conversation. And when you talk about protein intake above 30 grams, I know that a lot of people out there are going to say, but, you know, PTs have told me and my doctors told me and whoever's told me that per meal it should be 20 to 30 grams and above that absorption is not ideal or or beyond that, um, that excess protein is converted to sugar, you know, for the glucose, right? So, um, what, what what actually goes on there if we're consuming that excess protein? Because I assume that you're not encouraging this so that we dose up on additional sugar, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's let's start with um, number one that recommendation from twenty to thirty grams of protein. That would be about three to four ounces. 
that is fine if you're in your 20s and you have no underlying metabolic issues. And the reason is, is because when you are young, the body is very efficient at recognizing and utilizing protein. So when you think about protein consumption, you have to really think about it in buckets. The first bucket is the young, and then the second bucket is aging or anybody with metabolic dysregulation, which would be obesity, or anybody with um, a changing hormone status. So as you age, you have a decrease in testosterone, estrogen, even progesterone. So when you're young, again, that 20 to 30 grams is fine. But as you age, and there's literature to support this, there is this phenomenon called anabolic resistance that happens. And essentially, this is the decreased efficiency of protein recognition and utilization in the body. Nobody gets uh, away from this. This is what happens. This is a biological phenomenon. Yeah. So in order to overcome this anabolic resistance, which is, again, the inability for the muscle to sense the amino acids, which is the, the mm -hmm. building blocks of protein, you have to overconsume that 30 grams. So actually, 30 grams becomes the minimum to be able to stimulate muscle. Interesting. And if I told you that muscle was the organ of longevity, right, and, and dealing with everything about your health, the way in which you begin to optimize tissue is 30 grams is actually a minimum, and you probably get the biggest benefit as you age at 50 grams per meal. Wow. Lots of steak for everyone. <laughs> but it could be anything. It could be fish. It could be eggs. It could be turkey. Yeah. It could be whey protein. But if your listeners did this one simple thing, if they did this for breakfast, by their next meal, they'll feel better. Or if they're fasting, as long as they make this their first meal, by their second meal, they'll feel better. And over a period of time, their body composition, doing nothing else will change and their health markers will improve. The other thing that you had mentioned was that um, the excess protein is uh, turned into glucose. So let's talk about that for a second. For every 100 grams of protein an individual eats, 60 grams gets converted to glucose. There is no harm in this. The reason is it's much more beneficial for the body to be able to generate its own glucose because that's what the body is going to do yeah. rather than consuming excess calories, excess carbohydrates. So there is no negative from increasing protein intake. Zero. Yeah. Right. And I guess gluconeogenesis is demand driven rather than supply driven, right? That is a, it's a question that people go back and forth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's a, you know, it's a I, I don't know if I can answer the right. So whether it's demand driven or supply driven, um, you know, as it relates to protein via gluconeogenesis, the body tries to utilize all the protein it can. Yeah. And whether you have a demand for glucose, the, the body is going to generate from that uh, protein anyway. So as we're talking about this, I'm visualizing, I'm sort of building a, a person in my mind that's not focusing on the adiposity or their, the burning body fat, but they're focusing on, you know, their protein intake. And I, I, what pops up in my mind is the muscly fat guy at the gym, like the really big dude <laughs> that still has all of that body right. fat. So 
do, those people still need do do those people still need to actively and consciously work on that adiposity? Totally. Of course. And that becomes a calorie control issue. And then so you you deal with calorie control. The next thing that you would want to really think about is how you dose your carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are not a daily recommendation, which is really what it is given in, but they are a meal by meal recommendation, in my personal opinion. Okay, because there's a threshold of glucose that you can ingest or a threshold of carbohydrates before you get a robust insulin response. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are a big muscly dude, do you still need to work on reducing that body fat? Yes. And that is largely number one, a calorie issue. It could be a carbohydrate issue and then it can be a hormonal issue. Yeah. They're the exact three answers I would have given. (laughs) (laughs) So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Great. Um, just on the topic of uh, protein sources, I heard a great quote from you at the Quit Sugar Summit in the context of this and it was... Uh, the debate doesn't make it real and just because you hear it doesn't mean it's true regarding plant protein versus animal protein. So can you dive into that? Because I have so many people contact me on different platforms and and look into my program, which is can a vegan do this or a vegetarian do this? And so a lot of my listeners are yeah really unclear on this topic. So I'd love your insight. It would be my greatest pleasure to provide this. (laughs) I knew knew you'd say that. (laughs) Um. Protein values are hard, fast biological numbers. They are unchanging regardless of an individual's opinion. They are unchanging regardless of an emotional feeling. Plant protein is different than animal protein, and this is based on the amino acid composition. Plants make the correct profile in amino acids to support a plant. Animals, skeletal tissue, skeletal muscle tissue of an animal has the correct amino acid profile to support skeletal muscle in an animal. Now, let's talk about the the differences. You will hear in the media that, but broccoli has all the amino acids necessary, the same as a hamburger. Well, I would say, in fact, you might be right. However, what I talked about 
as it relates to anabolic resistance and muscle protein synthesis, the amount that you need each amino acid is vastly different. So if you are going to choose to get your protein from quinoa, you'll need about six cups of quinoa to equal one small itty-bitty chicken breast based on those amino acids. So the take-home message is that animal protein and plant protein have biologically different values, and you cannot change that. If you want to consume plant proteins, can you? You can, but you will need 30 to 40% more of that substance to equal the nutrient density of a animal-based product. Yep. So it's very calorically devastating for individuals. I mean, listen, you could use branched-chain amino acids if you want, but um, you know, if you are vegan or vegetarian for ethical issues, we there's no conversation around that, right? Because you can't change someone's ethical responses. However, of if, course, right, of course. But if you're doing it for health reasons, you're not doing the right thing. If you want to remain vegan and vegetarian, the best thing you can do is add in amino acid support. So that makes total sense um, and exactly my understanding. I recently had a client reach out um, or a potential client rather and said, you know, can I do your program? I'm vegan. And I said, look, the truth is from where I stand, and this may be similar for you, Gabrielle, is that I said for me to do the... I understand everybody's ethical things and I would never ask anybody to compromise that. But I said, for me to do the best thing by human health, I couldn't possibly put together a vegan version of this program. Totally. Yeah. So um, the other thing is too that comes to mind um, in like in a disease context is that talking about the um, anabolic resistance is that then I'm thinking about like the cachexia and sarcopenias and then... And then cancer. Can you talk more to people? Because um, a lot of my listeners as well are sort of heading towards that age where statistically they're looking down the barrel of one of these problems. Can you talk more to the longevity and preventative nature of the muscle-centric medicine? Yes. Muscle is your organ of longevity. And an individual's survivability is directly related to the quality and the amount of their muscle tissue. Sarcopenia is the destruction of muscle mass and a decrease in strength. And it can be very devastating and insidious for individuals. And we've all seen it with our parents or our grandparents. They, they were really robust when they were younger, and then all of a sudden they become kind of skinny or skinny fat, however you want to call it. And this is what sarcopenia looks like. And what's so devastating about sarcopenia as it relates to muscle is that muscle is a metabolic organ. And it's really your currency as it relates to your ability to manage your glucose, as it relates to your ability for you to manage just total calorie intake. It is the biggest contributor to resting metabolic rate, which is the calories you're utilizing at rest, as well as what is you the site of fatty acid oxidation, so cholesterol. So when you think about it, as this muscle tissue becomes destroyed, whether it's through disuse or decreased protein intake, right? So let's say an individual never transitions from those 20 to 30 grams, they will invariably affect their muscle, no doubt about it. So that sarcopenia, while inevitable, you can actually keep it at bay for a period of time. 
And the reasons that you would do this is because you think long-term the trajectory of aging, yes, it relates to locomotion, and yes, it relates to activities of daily living, but even more important or as important is your metabolic health. And that is directly related to the quality of your muscle tissue. So listen, if you guys are not doing resistance training, you better get going because that treadmill is like the hamster wheel of death, right? You have to put in resistance training effort. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, like, yeah, cardio is good for the cardiovascular health, of course. But um, yeah, putting your body under physical stress of weight is is so important. And even the cancer clinics here in um, in Melbourne have um, a, a weights facility now that are part of the clinical trials, which is you know sort of a little bit shocking that allopathic medicine is bringing in you know something like physical you know therapy with PTs and stuff like that. But you know it's it's obviously so effective as well because again, as as you're su- suggesting is that as we age, uh, we begin to atrophy through lack of use. That's right. And then impaired protein intake because the muscle tissue itself becomes inefficient at utilizing and even sensing protein. And that's why hitting that 50 grams of protein, which seems like a lot for people, it allows that older tissue to actually act like younger tissue. And that's a really important concept. So you can actually overcome this anabolic resistance by dosing your protein appropriately. And by doing this, it allows you to protect that tissue. So it, in essence, acts like young tissue. So you're essentially suggesting with the 50 grams, you're essentially suggesting that with that volume, with that large protein volume, you essentially get over the anabolic resistance hurdle. You just sort of push through it. Exactly. So you flood the system with one of the branch chains. And the most important, really, as it relates to muscle, is leucine. And the listeners don't really have to remember that or think about it, but just know that it's in abundance in high-quality animal proteins. And so it's that leucine threshold, that single amino acid, that must be taken with all the branch chains. Yeah. Right? So leucine, isoleucine, and valine. That leucine trigger, it's called the leucine threshold, allows for the body to kick into muscle protein synthesis. And muscle protein synthesis, you know, really the, the aging of tissue is the balance between an anabolic tissue and a catabolic tissue. And as you age, we become more catabolic. Yeah. But it can be offset by having a, an increased dose of protein. Right. And so the combination as well... Um, like of just high protein is great, but the benefits of putting your body through a weight session on a regular basis is going to, I guess, twofold, threefold the results type thing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. And actually, if you train, you do resistance training and then you have high quality protein after, you get a more robust response. So let's go the other way, just so just to paint a clear picture for everybody. What happens if you do do get into the gym regularly? Um, and I'm thinking of my dad actually, who flipped the script on his health journey a few years ago. Um, you know, sort of later in life, um, and I've started going to the gym. But they've, but they're people that have also got the belief systems that they were raised with in like the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and so they're doing lots of cardio, or even even if they are doing weights, but they're eating lots of carbs with uh, with too, too little protein. Right. What's going to happen then? I mean, you're then going to gain weight, right? Yeah. I mean, if calories are not controlled, you will gain weight, and you don't really protect the tissue. 
Yeah. Protein as you age is the most important macronutrient and it's the most controversial because it has a face. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and the other, the second to that, of course, is fat because a lot of that demographic as well grew up that with the low fat movement, fat is bad totally. type thing. Yeah. So where, I guess where do you sit in that conversation in regards to the importance of um, healthy fats? I think that when you think about your plate and you think about your 24-hour nutrient intake, number one is protein. Yep. Total protein amount, and I recommend one gram per pound ideal body weight. Once you've determined that, you then break it into meals. Yep. Hitting between, depending on your age, 30 and 50 grams per meal. Once you've determined that, for me personally, I think understanding where your carbohydrate threshold is, um, any, so if you're trying to lose weight, 30 to 40 grams of carbohydrates max per meal, and you certainly don't want to go over 130 grams per day. In fact, that's too high for most people, but that's what the recommended dietary allowance is. Yep. Um, understanding that carbohydrates are earned, and if you really want to lose weight, it is about caloric intake being in check and then minimizing insulin responses, so keeping the carbohydrates 30 to 40 grams maximum per meal and that that includes vegetables everything is included and then fat depending on your target caloric range you add fat in appropriately and that's how i do it but some people are more fat dominant so for them it would be figuring out their caloric need then adding in the fat, then adjusting their carbohydrates. Yeah, I guess that's an important thing for us to note as well that um, this conversation isn't inherently demonizing carbs. It's just prioritizing more important nutrients. Totally agree. Awesome. So um, because you've got so much amazingness online, (laughs) where can everybody find your stuff? Yeah, they can find me on Instagram. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon or my new website, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. And then I have a YouTube channel and a great newsletter. I would encourage everybody to follow and sign up for my newsletter. Um, I put in some scientific studies as well as a podcast like this. So this will go in my newsletter where people can hear what I'm talking about. Yeah. That sounds great. All right. For everybody, I will chuck the links down below so that everybody can access your stuff. And for anyone listening, if you've enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, share it with a friend, share it in your Instagram story, tag myself and Gabrielle so we can see who's listening in. And before we go, apart from get more protein in, what is one health piece of health information you wish more people knew about? You have to do resistance training. And you really have to have a well-designed program and you need to put in the effort. It's not about haphazard training and it's not about training within a comfort zone. If you truly want to make a lasting change to your body, it, it takes effort. And I would advise them to not shy away from effort. Yeah, we're getting our cultures definitely... Uh trying to give us a, give us too many hugs all the time to make things yeah. okay. <laughs> right. That's that's not going to get you. Embrace the struggle. Yes. In fact, invite it in. I love that. I totally love that. Well, Gabrielle, thanks so much for your time. I've loved having you on the show and hopefully we can organize another one soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much, Maddie. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use, and we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode. 
presented that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information. It cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.